Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Our scripture reading for today is Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 through 33. The judgment pronounced on Sodom. Then the men set out from there, and they looked toward Sodom. And Abram went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abram what I am about to do, seeing that Abram shall become a great and mighty nation, and all of the nations on earth shall be blessed in him? No, I have chosen for him that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring about for Abram what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, How great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and how every very much of grave of their sin. I must go down to see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. While Abram remained standing before the Lord, Abram came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep away the place and not forgive it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. And Abram answered, Well, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. I am but who is dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And again, he spoke to him, suppose 40 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord again. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of the 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak just once more. Suppose 10 are found there for the sake of the 10. The Lord said, I will not destroy it. And then the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abram, and Abram returned to his place. Thanks be to God.
but you promised. Do you recall as a parent how many times you actually heard that from your children? You would tell them something, and in your mind, it's kind of this tentativeness to it, but in their little mind, it's like, that's a promise, and I'm going to hold you to it. But you promised. We know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that. When an individual tells us something, and we trust them and say, okay, I'm going to rely on that, and then they don't follow through. It's easy for us to either say or think in our mind, but you promised. And then I would imagine that there's opportunities that we have said things to people, and we've given our word, and we weren't able to follow through. And again, we can either hear them say it, or in our own minds, we feel the guilt, and we say, yeah, but you promised them. Promises unfulfilled. What happens, however, when the person that is making the promise is God? Then what do you do? I think an answer to that question is found in the story of Abraham. And in this story, we're going to be focusing on fertility and unfulfilled promises. But to understand how we get to that point, we've got to go back to the very beginning. You can actually take the book of Genesis and divide it into two sections. Section number one would be Genesis 1 through 11. Section two would be Genesis 12 and onward. So in the first section, when it comes to fertility, God creates Adam and Eve and then says to them, be fruitful and multiply. God is endowing them just like he created through creation, through his words, in the same way God is empowering them with those words, be fruitful and multiply. It's as if God says, look, I'm the creator, and now I'm giving you power to procreate. I don't want to worry about it. I don't want to think about it. That's on you. The same thing happens in Genesis chapter 6. After the story of the flood takes place, we hear God tell Noah, be fruitful and multiply. Again, that command to endow human beings with that ability to procreate. And God, again, gives that gift and then just kind of steps back and says, look, that's, that's yours. Then we move into the second section of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. And this is when things become really interesting. Because in Genesis chapter 12, we are introduced as readers to a particular individual by the name of Abraham. Abraham, as a character in the story, doesn't know anything about Genesis 1 to 11. He knows nothing about this command by God to be fruitful and multiply. That's all information that he does not have access to, but we as readers do have access to. We have an advantage over Abraham. So when God says to Abraham in verses 1 to 3, I will make of you a great nation, all of a sudden our curiosity should be piqued. This is the same God who basically said, look, be fruitful and multiply. This is yours. This is in your ball. This is what you need to do. Now, all of a sudden, the I comes in. 
I will make you a great nation. He does not say to Abraham, go to the land that I will show you and there be fruitful and multiply. In verses 1 to 3, God takes back that power. The power that he had given to Adam and Eve, he now assumes for himself again. I will make you a great nation. And this is a promise that Abraham, according to the story, stakes a lot on, that he's willing to pursue, that he's willing to follow and leave the land of Mesopotamia and travel to Canaan. I will make you a great nation. Four times in the story of Abraham, we're going to hear that promise once again. A total of five times God is going to promise Abraham that he will make him a great nation. So instead of Abraham having that power, God takes the power. The second time it appears is in Genesis 13. The third time it appears is in Genesis 15. And this one is very interesting because all of a sudden we see something that is added to that command. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says, Then Abraham believed in the Lord. He believed that God would make him a great nation, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. God says, I see you and your trust in me. And because of that, you are righteous. And so by the end of this third promise, everything seems to be going well. But then we move into the fourth promise, and that's found in Genesis 17. Now, what's interesting to keep in mind is from the time that Abraham called, I mean, God called Abraham and gave him that first promise to this time, which is the fourth promise, it's been almost 15 to 20 years. For 15 to 20 years, Abraham and his wife have waited for God to fulfill God's promise. And then in chapter 17, verse 1, we hear these words. Now, when Abraham was 99 years old. Now, again, the number is probably exaggerated. However, it's still the point of the story is Abraham by now is an old man. And again, as readers, we're realizing that if God is going to fulfill God's promise, God's running out of time because Abraham keeps getting older and older. And then it says in verse 1 that the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Do you hear what's happening? At the very beginning, God tells, the first time God says, hey, look, Leave your country, go to this land I'm going to give you, and I will make you a great nation. That's it. No conditions. Now, in chapter 17, verse 1, by the time we come to the fourth promise, God is now putting out stipulations. I need you, Abraham, to walk before me and be blameless. And as readers, we're beginning to wonder, wait a minute. Instead of just being a promise, is God starting to shift and make it a conditional promise. In verse 6 of that same chapter, God says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you. And as a response, what takes place 
is God says to Abraham, as a way of marking my promise and making a covenant with you, Abraham, I need you to take yourself and all the men within your clan and circumcise them. Listen to what it says in verses 10 and 11. This is my covenant, which you shall keep, and it's between me and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And these two verses, many individuals have taken them to mean that this is an external sign of God's covenant with Abraham and his family. Now, that's not a really good external sign, because back in those days, just like today, we walk around clothed, and that would be something that you would not be able to see. So is it possible that there's a deeper meaning here? And what the writer is telling us is basically God is giving Abraham a symbolic act that he needs to do, and by doing that act, he is symbolically conceding that the power to procreate is not his. God even has control over his organ of reproduction and marks it so that Abraham and all of his descendants will remember that ultimately, when it comes to fertility, it's ultimately on God. But that becomes a problem because God has promised now for the fourth time that he will make Abraham a great nation. But in order to become a great nation, Abraham needs to first have a son, and that hasn't taken place for almost 20 years. So God can talk all he wants, and Abraham does reply and took a lot more courage and faith than I might have had to follow through in God's command. But this, this chapter and this part of the story doesn't stop there. It gets even better. In verse 15, it, God tells Abraham that Sarah will become pregnant, that she will have a child. In verse 17, it says, Then Abraham fell on his face. Now, what's interesting about that is back at the very beginning of chapter 17, verse 3, when God first encounters Abraham, God, I mean, Abraham falls on his face. A sense of awe, a sense of respect, a sense of reverence. But in verse 17, we read something different. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. God has just said, I will give you, for the fourth time, I will give you a son. And Abraham looks at him, and he falls down on the ground, and he laughs. He laughs at God. He says, what in the world are you talking about? We have waited and waited and waited, and nothing has happened. And as readers, we should begin to question, because why is it that God has to continue to repeat this promise? Does God not have the ability to fulfill the promise? Or does God not have the will to fulfill this promise? The next chapter, 
chapter 18 of Genesis, we find the last promise that God gives to Abraham. He repeats it a fifth time. He tells Sarah, you will have a son. And this time in chapter 18, it's Sarah who laughs. Abraham and Sarah have basically by this point gotten tired of God. It's almost as if enough God. You expect us to continue to believe you. Um, remember that saying, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. I mean, I'm, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Well, what happens when you've been fooled five times? You laugh. You realize you made a mistake. The story in chapter 18 is the chapter that precedes Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham entertains God who appears as three people. And after that meal, as they are starting to make their way outside of Abraham's camp and towards Sodom, the writer has us listen in to God either thinking to himself or just quietly mumbling the following words. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Now, if you listen carefully to that, you heard some new stuff. First of all, God says that I will promise to give him a child, not because he is righteous. Earlier, remember in chapter 15, God said, you believe in me, you're righteous. Now God says, doesn't even mention that, he says, I have chosen him. And then he adds a conditional that makes this promise now a condition upon Abraham and how Abraham replies to God. That's why it's so important to hear these words that he is asking Abraham to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. And if you do what is right and just, if you do righteousness, it's almost as if God forgot earlier that he had said Abraham was righteous. But he says, if you do what is right and just, then I will bring about what I promised you. You see the shift taking place here? It's almost as if God said at the very beginning, look, human beings should be able to procreate. That's all them. I'm not going to worry about it. Abraham comes along and God says, oh, man, I don't know if that was a great decision I made. You know, I think I'm going to take that back and I will have power over a human being's fertility. But I will promise Abraham that he'll have a child. But by the fifth time he makes this promise, God has turned a promise into a condition upon Abraham. And Abraham is tired. Abraham has grown weary of God. And in the next few verses, it says that Abraham stood before God. Now, that saying is one that we can quickly go over, but it's really powerful. I mean, here's God who said, you know, I came down to check out and see if Sodom deserves to be destroyed. 
Here's this destroying God, and Abraham boldly walks and stands before him and begins this bargaining. And in the bargaining, he makes little jabs at God. He says to him, oh, by the way, aren't you the judge of all the earth? Aren't you supposed to be, treat people fairly? Aren't you supposed to be a God of God's word? Huh. That really hasn't gone well for me, God. And then you said, Abraham says, look, if there's 50 righteous people, do you hear the play? Now God has said, the only way I will give you a child is if you're righteous. And Abraham goes, I could be righteous all day long and you still won't give me a child. And he brings that into God's face by saying, you know what, God? If there were 50 righteous people, would you destroy it? And God says, no. And Abraham says to the readers, in a way, through his language, do you believe God? You think if there were 50 righteous people, God wouldn't? I wouldn't be so sure. What about 40, God? 40 righteous people? You probably end up destroying him even if you said you wouldn't. 30, 20, 10. And he stops at 10. It's almost as if the reader is supposed to keep going to, like, if there's one righteous person, God will say, no, I won't destroy him. And God will. We are led to believe as readers. We are to sense the frustration that Abraham has toward this God, this God that will not fulfill the promises that he's given. God is not one that you can trust. Jack Miles, in his book, God, a Biography, which a lot of this sermon came out of, uh, this is my foundation that I created this on, he says the following, the point of the dialogue is to show the depth of Abraham's resentment to the broken promise of fertility and the contempt for what seems to be an 11th hour attempt on God's part to abrogate or revoke the promise. Abraham is saying to the Lord, you, you say you will, but really? will you? And when you don't fulfill your promise, your excuse will be that it was some defect on my part in my righteousness. So how does Abraham deal with unfulfilled promises of God? He calls God on, out on it. And while God tries to turn and blame Abraham, Abraham says, Nuh-uh. This is on you. You made a promise. Now, if you keep reading, you'll find out that Abraham eventually has a child. But at this point, if you were to close the book, you would, always, you, you would have to decide, do you agree or disagree with Abraham? One of the reasons why this story is so important is because Christians continue to wrestle with the same issue that Abraham did. Will God fulfill God's promises? Now again, remember how Abraham replied to this. 
Abraham was not afraid calling out God. His worldview, his view of God, was one that you could call out on. But hear today what a modern Christian says about God's promises. This individual proposes that there are 5,467 divine promises throughout the Bible. And about these promises, he says the following, the promises of God reveal God's particular and eternal purposes to which God is unchangeably committed and upon which believers can totally depend. This individual is saying, in disagreeing with Abraham, and saying God is dependable. God will fulfill God's promises. He is unchangeably committed to fulfilling what he has promised. And then the writer gives us, I'm sorry, the writer gives himself an escape clause. These promises are, however, and as soon as you hear the however, it's like, oh, no. It's almost as if it, it, it goes against everything that you set up to this point. These promises are, however, conditioned upon obedience on the part of believers. So if you take one of God's promises and you claim it, and it doesn't work out for you, don't blame God, blame yourself. Abraham says, no, you hold God accountable. So what are we supposed to do about that? Well, if you take what this writer proposes, that the problem is ours, then there's not much you can do about it. You'll carry the guilt You'll carry the angst of not having enough trust. And you'll claim a promise, and if it doesn't happen, then you'll blame yourself again. And that will happen over and over until you feel like you can become righteous enough. And yet they tell you that the gift of God, it's a gift of God, your righteousness, but yet you have to be righteous enough for God to fulfill God's promises. And that's one particular way to look at this idea of God and God's promises. Perhaps we need to look at another worldview. One of the reasons why this story was told to begin with of Abraham was the ancients believed that God was literally a part of fertility. In procreation, God had to have God's hand in it. And ultimately, the power went to God. This is a story that explains why Abraham, Abraham couldn't have a child for a long time. But that's one particular worldview. I wonder if that's a worldview that we're comfortable with. I know there are some Christians who believe that if as a couple they are infertile, then some Christians would say that's God's will. However, if we continue to have a worldview that God gives promises, then eventually we're either going to be rejecting God 
because God doesn't fulfill those promises, or we're going to beat ourselves up because we're not good enough for God to fulfill those promises for us. Maybe these whole idea of God giving us promises is in the Bible more a story about humanity and how humanity, when faced with difficulties in life, rather than looking within themselves, they look outside of themselves for the power. That's one way you could live your life. Or another one is that you realize that you are alive, that somehow that it is God who is the ultimate source of life, of energy. And maybe the greatest promise that you've been given is that you have the power and the ability within you to face whatever comes your direction. I don't know the answer on this one. I rack my brain trying to come up with one. I think you're going to have to figure this one out for yourself. Or you can find someone and talk to someone about it. Bounce ideas off of each other. Maybe we are asked to be a little bit more tentative in how we look at God and how we look at our world and how we look at ourselves. Maybe that's what makes life exciting. Think about it. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.